Welcome to Junior to Senior, the podcast for ambitious devs who want to take their career to the next level. I'm your host, David Gutman. Today, I'm joined by Justin Higgins. Justin, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me, David. All right. So for people who are just meeting you for the first time, want to share a little bit about who you are and what you do? Yeah, of course. Uh, so I'm a professional software engineer. I've worked on great products like Beats Music, which then became Apple, Polaroid Swing, uh, most recently Hustle. And my recent journey has been on a creative art project, which is stretching me as a salesman, marketer. We'll get more into that later. <laughs> I love it. Those are some really, really uh, valuable skills, especially when combined with uh, software development. So it sounds like you have worked on some projects that have been used by many, many people. I mean, Beats, wildly popular, Polaroid, household name. Uh, and so on. What what got you into doing those types of projects as opposed to, I don't know, something more B2B or or boring? How did, how did you wind up on that path? That's a great question. So uh, back in college, I've always kind of had a technical lean or analytic lean, I guess. I uh, studied physics and astrophysics, and that's where I kind of got the, the bug to code. I did some undergraduate research programs, which it's kind of like job shadowing, really. You're not, you're not making any great discoveries, but <laughs> uh, you do get, you know, behind a terminal and s like some application development. So when I got that bug out of college, I you know, really wanted to, to improve and took an internship uh, at a company called Servio, which is a crowdsourcing platform. Why that company and not, you know, the big machines of Google and <laughs> Facebook, others was really just about the mentorship that I could get from it. It was mm. tenured, well, maybe tenured is not the right word, but really experienced uh, software engineers there and uh, kind of got my, my, cut my teeth uh, early, learned that I love building uh, for consumers. Mm. And from there, I got connected to an opportunity at Mog, which was a streaming music service before Beats Music. It was in the days of like RDO and when Spotify first came to the US. Also very team driven there when I, you know, still very junior engineer and saw people building a, a cool consumer music product. I uh, wanted to join that, learn from them and kind of build something that I loved using. And then, then it grew to Beats Music and, you know, I've been fascinated with the consumer tech uh, world since. Yeah, I love it. One question that I have, because I think this is important to a lot of our, our listeners, how, how much of an effect did, did that mentorship have on you? Was that, did that turn out to be as valuable as, as you thought it was going to be? Oh, huge. Yeah. I, um, went into it with this, like, kind of, what I say is like scientific coding, like all variables or X or X, Y, or, you know, it's, you're really like writing for yourself and, <laughs> um, not for other people or your teammates. Uh, so that was one of the big learnings there is like, just ask being surrounded by people who have been in the industry for 20 plus years uh, and picking their picking their brains. I mean, they've worked on all sorts of systems. They're like a 30 year plus engineer uh, or, you know, been in the industry for, for a while and just sitting down coffee and letting them uh, take the mic and tell me, tell me a story it was, it was great. <laughs> Those are opportunities you don't really get to, I don't know. I mean, I've only been on this, this life, but uh, uh, <laughs> I, I, wouldn't trade trade that for for any other experience. Did you? Were they? Was this just something that that they were 
proactive about and and you just had to be available or did you have to seek them out was there was there any particular way that you approached it to get to get that value out of them i think i'm naturally pretty curious and so i, I ask a lot of questions uh, like especially when they're they're pretty opaque maybe like there was like a code review process like a lot of engineering teams have so you know some feedback comes in and uh, or you're looking at their code uh, to see how uh, you know they would have solved the problem and um, those are all good signal for you to i mean if it's a good culture uh engineering culture you should have you know full reign to ask them their thought process how they went about it and you know people love talking about their work so Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think if you have that curious uh, mindset and surrounded by a good culture that encourages that, uh, you get some answers. You know, I think you bring up a really good point. Um, people, people do. I, you know, look, this is certainly not an absolute or true for everyone, but I, I agree with you. I find that people really do like to talk about themselves and their work if you are interested, and that interest is is genuine. Um, if you if you are curious about them, you're curious how, about how they do things, and you're you're you have that enthusiasm and that interest, it really winds up being uh, a good way to learn a lot from them because uh, because that enthusiasm is going to be contagious. They're going to be motivated to tell you about things, and that energy is going to lead them to to bring up more useful useful things. Um, did you like what, what types of things did you learn or what types of things surprised you coming from your background, obviously, other than using more than, than two to three characters for a variable name? Right. Uh, so I really sharpened my Emacs foo, uh, with, uh, with that team, uh, which is, um, you know, maybe it's not the first thing to, to highlight, but you know, I'm still in that system and I've seen editors come and go and. Uh, development environments come and go. So, well, I do think I do think those tools are really important, right? That's the the boundary between you and what you're what you're doing, right? I mean, you can you can comically imagine the slower and slower inputs or more uh, complicated ways of coding, and you can you can imagine that's going to have a real negative effect on what you do. And so, I think it's completely reasonable to imagine the opposite is that you polish that, you get your workflow down, you got your editors and your tools really optimized. That's going to have that's going to have a real effect on on how productive you are. So I think that's a that's a really good one to bring up. I also just can't stop myself from from making the common reference that Emacs is a wonderful operating system. It just needs a good text editor. <laughs> that's good. Yeah, I, I can definitely get uh, pretty bloated, but uh, the context. <laughs> Uh, back in the studio was for about um, I, there were like pairing sessions with uh, the CTO where we'd sit down and he it wasn't about Emacs it was like hey let's let's code something and then he would say you know, here's a cool way to do it uh, you know because he's been in that system for a long time I think that is so valuable to be able to sit down and look over someone someone's shoulder especially if they're more experienced and see how they solve problems. Because if you were to just ask them how they do things, it it's kind of like they won't, so much of what they they use is going to be invisible to them. Yep. They're, it's going to be used so often, it's so routine that they're just not really 
going to think uh, to explain things, right? They're just going to be like, oh, so what do you do when you're thirsty? It's like, oh, I get a glass of water. You know, I drink a glass of water. It's like, well, they don't, they're not going to think to explain, well, first I open the cupboard and then it's on the, you know, the bottom shelf. And then I choose this glass and then I go over to the, the, you know, the freezer and then I put it in the thing and I get the ice. And those things can wind up being really important if you've never been in the kitchen before, or you've never seen a kitchen. And so being able to look over their shoulder and be like, wait, what did you just do there? Like you just you typed a quick little key command or you clicked on this thing and and then a whole bunch of stuff happened. Like, what was that? And they're like, oh, right. Well, you know, I have this thing because, you know, you always run into this situation. And so we just skip all that and it makes everything a lot faster. And so being able to, to look over the shoulder that. So I'm really glad that you you brought that up. So you felt like that helped you a lot learning those things. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, it was uh, like two opportunities there. One where CTO would sit next to me and watch me code and then mm-hmm. uh, provide some feedback. And then also, you know, you'd be working on systems that like were pretty obscure to me. And I would, mm-hmm. you know, just be looking for opportunities like, oh, that was interesting. Like some macro that he wrote on the fly or something. Mm-hmm. That, um, <laughs> just just having these like uh, these canvases, canvases for questions is um, uh is a great uh, structure, I think, for for learning. Uh, and then another thing that comes to mind was was just the concept of of Git, the whole system mm. of like minor changes there. You know, frequent commits really was was mind opening. I think you know a lot of those uh, undergraduate opportunities didn't even have uh, version control, but you know, like Subversion is completely different uh, uh, system. So uh, that was also uh, mind opening too. Yeah, much more centralized. Yeah, I've I've heard that it's been a while since I dealt with more academic coders, but yeah, the reputation for for version control, dependency management seems to be a lot less um, disciplined with you know in those those environments. Um, seems a little bit closer to to working with designers or or people on Word documents, where it's like you know. <laughs> you know, uh, pitch document, final, 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 version two, <laughs> final. <laughs> yeah. And uh, which one got G-zipped and sent, uh, which email am I tracking? Yeah, a lot of that. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's hard to overplay how important version control is to our craft and what we do. Um, it is such such an important technology that I do want to make it clear that if you are unfamiliar with Git, Git is scary, you don't like the command line, you don't really understand what it's doing, you don't really understand the branching and the merging or things like rebase, um, I would urge you to block out time on your calendar, even if you're not that excited about it, and just for the duration of that time, just start exploring. There's a lot of resources out there. I'm sure there's a lot of uh, guides um, for for how to think about that. But it is so important for for managing your own projects. And more to the point, I think it is critical for working on teams. Uh, Justin, for you, was that was that one of the things that you you struggled with? Like, what was what was it like starting to work with? a team of professional uh, software developers? Well, it really forces you to, if you're going from that like scientific, which, you know, I'm by no means a scientist, but 
that was my introduction to, to coding. That world of development to, to shared coding, the big, one of the big learnings was how to deconstruct the problem you're on mm-hmm. and into commits, into things that are isolated that could be, say, reverted. So in the, say, uh, what, you know, what's the feature and is there a way to uh, section this so that it's, so that the audience reading it can consume it in easier way? You know, it's if you're changing thousand lines of code in components or uh, part, parts of the, uh, the repo that maybe your reviewer hasn't been to, it's nice to have these this little story that you can develop, even if it's you know here's all the lint in one commit. You know, it's it makes it much much easier to um, to really break down problem and like your reviewers love it. Everybody, it's like that was a big learning. It's you know still still do to this day. Yeah, the art of the uh, the perfect pull request. Uh, not a huge commit, has tests, some relevant documentation. Uh, that's a that's a really really important skill to learn. And you know, I don't think it actually takes that long to to do it. I mean, maybe maybe what you're talking about does. You know, takes takes some time learning how to break it down into something small and self-contained. Um, I guess what's interesting that's that's kind of coming to my mind right now is, and this is kind of funny, maybe a little bit ironic, is I consider it to be not too different from science, right? If you're performing an experiment, you really want to isolate the variables. You don't want to change too many things all at once because then you can't connect the, you know, the resulting behavior to any particular change. Is that something that that crossed your mind when you were learning learning this stuff? Oh yeah, that's a good good metaphor. It, it didn't cross my mind, but yeah, I can see the the relationship. And um, yeah, I, I think of it more like narrative. Uh, maybe that's how it's kind of grown. Uh, or maybe it's like if you were writing an abstract, you know, I guess because the, the documents you write in, or at least I was exposed to back in undergrad were it's like data processing systems, but overall you're telling, you're, you have a big story. So like, you know, mm-hmm. your abstract or your the doc, what's get, what gets published is a story. Mm-hmm. And then it's, you know, uh, backed by a system of, of thinking. And I think a good, say a feature pull request, like here's a new you know, way to share videos in our app. That probably has a lot of uh, new ideas in it. You want to guide in, and anyway, maybe they're not super isolated commits, but you can group them in a logical way that um, it just makes it easier for your your audience. Yeah. Okay. So that narrative and that that working with teammates. Now that now that you're talking about narrative and and story, it's making me think that a lot of you know what you were what you were learning too wasn't necessarily technical. It was more communication. Um, was that an important important part of what you were learning at that time, or is that not really what juniors need to worry about? And that's just something that comes later. Oh, yeah. I think you can always improve communication. That's kind of what I, one of the main things I look for when working with a team or when considering a contract or a new company is you know, how do they communicate? What's their velocity or momentum? And but really, like if you, I, I have a friend I've worked with on several projects and you kind of you know, finish each other's sentences almost because <laughs> it, it, there's a lot of um, composition. It, you can't uh, 
I'm stumbling here, but <laughs> there's always there's always room for uh, communication to improve. It. Yeah, um, meta meta communication, communicating yeah. about communication. But I, yeah, I'm curious. Like, are there any you know red flags or what? What would be examples of of bad communication? I mean, probably lack of. But are there are there other things that that you would be able to notice? Oh, maybe it's. I think everyone has their own tolerances to it. Like how you ask how questions are received mm, uh, is, a, is a pretty good one. Um, some people, there's a, we can wear an air of like expectation as software engineers. Like you don't know, you're not familiar with Git. Well, <laughs> come on. Like, I've worked with so many different types of people, like PhDs in computer science and people who've been hacking since uh, they were 10 years old, people who just got into the industry everyone's coming with different backgrounds. So, uh, mm -hmm. if somebody has, uh, that's, that'd probably be like a big red flag. If there's this like, um, holier than thou kind of, uh, mm -hmm. uh air. Yeah. That's, uh, I don't think that's ever really fun as like, oh. oh, you don't know. Oh my God. Where, where did you, where did you learn to code? Um, yeah, that's a, that's a pretty, that's a pretty bad one. Yeah, and then and in terms of of things that you really like to see, was there was there an environment that just had really good communication practices and anything that you were just like, oh, okay, this is this is something I have to remember, or I like that they're doing this uh, outside of my work. Oh, just any time that you've seen, yeah. Oh yeah, um, so I think if I uh, like once teams grow too big, it's really hard to get that. Uh, at least for me, yeah, that. That, that sense you kind of want to participate where conversation happens. So mm -hmm. uh, uh, one thing at Beats Music was once the engineering team grew, it started to fragment and be more, more like feature teams, domains of responsibility. Mm -hmm. And you know, if you can get down to like five or six engineers, you can still have pretty good conversations and not have like too many cooks in the kitchen, as I say. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and then I guess it just becomes a, a challenge of where do those lines between teams happen and then how do the teams communicate so that they're not stepping on each other's toes yeah it's pretty well, a pretty lot of that hard. is alleviated by just great communication with your managers so mm -hmm. if you know if they're going to put you on a front-end project and you know you've never communicated to them that you want to grow as a uh, database person mm -hmm. uh, then you know that's a little bit of your responsibility hopefully they're open enough to you know move you around but those conversations should always be happening, I think, with your managers, with your teams. Like, uh, it also helps you reinforce like your your fears, not reinforce your fears, but understand what you what you're, what you're comfortable with. There's a, a thing I've heard like, oh, I don't know CSS a lot mm -hmm. uh, in some some teams, and uh, well, nobody knows anything right? <laughs> out of the start of this stuff, so we all learn. And have, if you uh, can catch yourself, then you say, okay, well, maybe there are opportunities where. Or maybe that that's your way of saying, uh, no, I don't want to learn. <laughs> like I, I'm stating it, so please right, don't put me yeah, on that project. Right. Yeah, definitely hear a lot of you know, kind of related to that developers saying, oh, I'm just not a good designer, um, which could just mean that they never want to make it a priority to to learn. Although it also seems that they imply that that's just something that you're born with, right? And just like, oh, nope, didn't get blue eyes. Never gonna have blue eyes. Not gonna happen. <laughs> Yeah. Um, cool. And then so over time, 
like it sounds like your relationship with your managers changed. What you know, what have those been like? Do you have any any takeaways of of how to have a good relationship with your manager? Obviously, you want to be upfront with them about how they can help you. But is there is there anything else that you think is worth uh, talking about? Um, yeah, it's a great question. So a lot of engineering teams do, uh, you know, sprints. Actually, I've never worked on one that doesn't have a, a sprint, which is to say the team wants to plan their efficiency or their growth. You should be doing the same every night or every week. You should know like why you're participating in, at that company on that project. And then your manager's there to, to facilitate that. They're, they're connecting you. They're uh, enabling you to other resources or to certain projects on, within the company's initiatives. Uh, they're asking you questions as, you, that, as that relationship gets better. Is this possible? Do you think this is possible in the sprint? Hopefully not this sprint, maybe next sprint. Um, you know, uh, so if you have an, a self-evaluation procedure that's not sort of enforced by company OKRs or something, but just, you know, every night or uh, every week, uh, semi-regularly ask yourself, uh, how am I, how am I doing? Where am I going? Am, am I going in the direction that I want to? And everyone's answers is different, but that's the joy of being alive. You get to, you get to, you get to steer that. Did you, did you ever have trouble with the, uh, the deciding where you wanted to, to be, where you wanted to, what your, your North star was so that you could align your, your goals and, and strategy and how you get there? Or has that been easier for you? Great question. My gosh, uh, <laughs> I love so many things. So uh, a North Star or you're looking at uh, Betelgeuse. Or, <laughs> and there's there are so many different like shiny things for, for me to get fascinated by. I think there's a little bit of that energy. <laughs> like there's, there's this old gif uh, of a kid. It's like a little a kid wearing diapers and he's trying to kick, he's holding the ball. And he's running in place, running in place, running in place. And you hear in the background, like the parents say, like, just just kick it, you know, just drop the ball and kick it. And, I feel, and he ends up running around the whole yard, still holding the ball, not <laughs> dropping it and uh, attempting to. So I've kind of grown into the space of uh, constrained growth or constrained creativity. There are so many things that we can work on that we where we can go, but uh, we have a finite time. So uh, it's mm -hmm. it. Uh, I think these questions come up all the time. You know, I, I asked these to myself when I was in high school, what do I want to study? What college do I want to go to? Extracurriculars are important. I was doing air quotes there. Because <laughs> uh, I think really you should just work on things that interest you. Uh, but um, so yeah, that question does come up every now and then. I think those are opportunities for you to go back to that personal reflection. Of, Am I uh, uh, still heading towards that? that North Star mm -hmm. that I've said. Yeah, I, um, as you were talking, it just made me think of, of two things. I love the, the constrained um, creativity, I think is what you said, uh, because I, I mean, I think about the idea that, that the lack of constraints is the enemy of, of creativity all the time. Like just a you know, huge blank canvas is, is very difficult to, to deal with uh, compared to just having some constraints. Um, and you know, I think I think the other one is that thinking about what you what you want to do um, is really important 
uh, having having that north star, having a direction that that is guiding you, um, is important. Otherwise, you're you're likely to go in in circles or not be able to devote enough of your energy to any particular one thing to make a difference, right? I think one of the metaphors is, you know, if you just take a again a blank sheet of paper uh, out into you know outside and you hold it up and and it's sunny it's not just going to catch on fire like you really need a magnifying glass you need to focus that energy in one spot for something to happen and so if you're not really constraining your efforts uh it's it's likely that your energy is going to be too diffuse to to really accomplish much in any in any one thing and so i think i think your uh intentional um, restriction is is very is very smart, and I think that's something that people listening can can learn from. The I think something that that I see happen a lot, you know, when when mentoring somebody or or talking to to people who are a little bit more junior, is you know you ask them what they what they want, you know, where where do you want to be, what's your goal, and they do have a lot of trouble with that. Um, do you like? Were there any kind like? What would you what What would you recommend? Or is there a particular framework or some kind of way that that you you come to think about what you want to uh, focus on or or how you want to constrain yourself? So I use a lot of systems of uh, I picked these up in in college, uh, but getting things done. There's like one one strategy of just give yourself some space of time with a blank sheet of paper. Back to that blank sheet again, and. <laughs> You just write down everything that's on your mind, but you don't organize it. You don't structure it. These are, you can maybe constrain it by a problem, you know, like what's, you know, what am I bothered by mm-hmm. uh, rather than what's on my mind? Cause you might be like, well, you know, I'm tired or something. <laughs> sure. But you, uh, the, the key point there is to not organize it and not put a, like a solution on it. And then you have a separate set. Yeah. Or to like self edit or, or restrict exactly. what you're saying. Yeah. Yep. Yep. And you might find that like the first ones are kind of fluff, but eventually you're like, oh, okay. I don't care so much about laundry. I actually care about this mm-hmm. deadline I have and why it's making me feel like uh, I'm not being heard at the company mm, or yeah. uh, you know, all sorts of stuff. But don't don't attach to that once you, because there still might be other things you're, you're trying to unearth. Yeah. Um, yeah, just get it all out. Yep. Yeah. And then afterwards you have this evaluation period and you can you clearly look at it and you say, all right, well, yeah, laundry is important, but not not the not the big focus. <laughs> so those are opportunities for self growth, finding that that north star. Uh, and then I'm a big fan of just writing down ideas as they come to you throughout the day. And there's not there's no too small or too big an idea. They could be come to you like in a little nap dream or a little daydream, or maybe it came from a conversation. But uh, write it down mm-hmm. and then. So I use things, things three, but I've used all sorts of other systems, uh, just a file on Emacs that was synced on Dropbox. And, but mm-hmm. I kind of like things these days. And you know, tag it with just idea, really get it out uh, of your head. And then you can have these, there's like natural creative periods or like pauses with, within your life. Maybe you don't have anything to work on or there's nothing scheduled for the day, whatever. You can, you might find yourself navigating there and say, oh, hey, I had this huge list of, things I've recorded, let's go review it. Is there anything there that still kind of sticks? There's that, there's, uh, I used to watch Scrubs a lot. I love that show. Uh, but uh, one of the first episodes, JD, the main character asks his mentor, like, how much Advil should I 
you know, give this, uh, this patient. He's like, it's, it's, you know, over the counter Advil. You, here's what you do. You open her, her mouth and you throw a handful at whatever sticks is good. So I, that's kind of the create creative, uh, uh, style or the growth style. You just write down all the, these ideas and then you're, you're building this like Katamari ball of view of where, you know, how you're going to develop. And, uh, yeah, I would say that's probably the closest thing to a system mm-hmm. I have. So, yeah, I, I mean, part of the reason why I'm asking is it, is it seems like you've taken a, not even sure I want to put the label of big shift on it, but it, it does seem like in your career, you've, you've definitely focused on developing some skills, or as you mentioned, self-growth uh, in a way that I find a lot of developers don't, uh, probably to their, to their detriment. And I love, I love that you, you did that. And I'm just curious what, what led to that. And, and I, I'm sure you know what I'm talking about. So can you, you can you elaborate a little bit more on what, what led to that? So recently I've been working on a, a, a big, um, big project. This is what you're alluding to. I agree. Yeah, so, absolutely. Um, so I moved to LA two years ago uh, with my fiance and was working remotely for the company uh, uh, Hustle in San Francisco. It's a great company. And, uh, but I'm the only engineer down here. So I, you know, working by myself, had, was going through a lot of these like ideation phases. Oh, I, you know, really had this like creative energy I want to uh, exercise. But uh, a few years ago, this is five or so, I did my first stint in solo entrepreneurial product development land and, and had to spin down the service uh, several years later. And, you know, was kind of bummed out by it because, you know, I like, wore all this like, oh, good, I'm, you know, staff engineer, I can build my own thing. I can grow, go out there <laughs> into the, uh, into the world and you know, you're really uh, make an effect. But, you know, I, I had to take a cold, hard look at my work and, and saw that I was avoiding something that could have, you know, made it grow to a more of a success. That was really just marketing and sales, really communicating online what it was I built, uh, and what my vision was and you know, connecting it, growing that audience. So wait, wait, wait. I, I thought if I you was, just build it, like they will come, that's yeah, all you, they will yeah. come. Yeah. No? Yeah. Uh, it may be true for, for some people, but, uh, in my experience, that was, there's so many people, uh, in the world and so many creative energy that's being exercised on the internet that, uh, you do need to kind of have a little bit of a showmanship. I think wait, that's for, so weird. Or, so people need to know about something before they right. use it. <laughs> Right, they're not just going to <laughs> know of your domain until you register it. Uh, but uh, so that was one of the big, big lessons there. And so you know, I'm in this uh, creativity uh, ideation phase, and I didn't want to repeat. I didn't want to build a new like project and then you know fall into the same trap. So I was, uh, I kind of synthesized it in my creative thinking. And there's, um, it's handles Tholman, but I think his name is is it Timothy Holman. Uh, Tim Holman is a, he does a bunch of like creative projects. Uh, I think is uh, one of the, the the GitHub guys, right? Uh, Curious creations of Tim Holman. If you go to tholman.com, uh, I saw a talk from his like several years ago, and it really kind of got me thinking about this like single purpose projects that kind of scratch this. Uh, all of his were like very like, creative. Like there's a uh, a meditation app that's just a bunch of that's a matrix of radio buttons, and you, know, you, you click them, and that's that's the idea, but Hearing that kind of, uh, and then having some evaluation period of 
my previous work, I was like, you know, I want to do something that forces me to grow in a way that I've kind of avoided. So that, uh, that's how 24hourhomepage.com was born. It is a basically a 24-hour movie played one frame per second, uh, where every frame corresponds to the current second mm-hmm. of the day. And I kind of designed this. It serves a number of goals. One, I can grow as a communicator online. It is, you know, there's only 86,400 seconds in a day. And it's got this, you know, chicken and egg kind of art problem. So I'm, I'm forced to get out there and talk to people and hear a lot of no's and, uh, or hear a lot of silence, which is kind of worse sometimes when you're first starting on something. But that was one of the goals. And then the others are that it's fun. So I'm not going to be burned out on the idea. If it does take several years to, to you know, sell the full day, uh, I'm fine. It's not, you know, it's a pretty simple project to maintain. And then it does have income that can be generated from it. So that kind of served had like three really strong properties for me to focus on it. I wasn't going to be tempted to feature develop mm-hmm. like I was with the, my previous project where, you know, instead of getting out there and say going to a conference or you know, talking to some stranger about my work, I you know would add more features or like, oh, I, I remember hearing months ago that somebody would, would have liked, you know, this little tagging feature. So let me spend the weekend on that. Well, you know, I wasn't going to have those excuses this time, which is all, one of the large reasons why uh, the website is as simple as it is. It's a square image that changes every second. You can click the image and you'll go to some creative uh, person's uh, website. Right. Anybody who's, who's joined so far. So I, I launched this earlier this year, uh, right around the time NFT craze was going, which it kind of had some mixed signal there. I think some people were like, what is this NFT? Like <laughs> people got really excited from that. And, I'm still learning as a businessman. Like I still think like, oh, maybe I should have done, but I don't think so. I think I think it it's uh yeah, it's like people on Twitter who can respond to news and like mm-hmm. have a, a like a, a full on product uh, based on like the um the Suez Canal uh, meme that came up the uh, recently. Um, so I didn't want to get. I wanted it to be as simple as possible. Nice. And so you you know you gave an awesome JSLA talk uh, recently. Uh, we'll put a link to that in the in the show notes as well. Uh, where you talk about a lot of the lessons um, from all of this, how how has that helped you? You think in your in your career? Do you think you're better off having developed these skills just in terms of being an entrepreneur, or are these also skills that that will help somebody even if they're at you know a larger company or something like that? How do they how do they fit in into this this usefulness in in your life? Well, I think they're life skills. And mm-hmm. yeah, I, you know, given some talks before in company, and I think maybe many of your listeners have had the, like mini presentations about their work, and I think they're, mm-hmm. they're kind of tiered. It's sort of like you know, uh, you have a certain relationship with your family, with your coworkers, but when you're talking to the public, it's a it's another uh, it's another I don't want to say beast because it's really, it's not that scary. That's one of the big learnings is that it's all in your head, and don't don't psych yourself out. Uh, you know how to express what you're probably working. won't kill you. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so yeah, I think it's life skills. I think it is, it's great for, to have something that kind of like forces you to go that way too, because I'm the kind of person who, like, if I don't have a, a project, uh, I might, for instance, I do a lot of annual challenges. One of them this year is 150, uh, strong lifts, which are, is this workout regime or regimes program. Um, but it's quantified. It, it allows me to say, oh, but 
end of the year, I basically have to work out every other day. I have some forgiveness where, you know, I'm not trying to do something unrealistic, but it's a project that, that forces some growth. So definitely in favor of, of those uh, systems. Yeah, actually, we, I don't think we've really talked much about exercise on this show, but I find it to be so important for productivity. And I'm curious if, if that's if that's how you think about it as well, or are you just thinking in terms of long-term health or, or trying to get ripped? I mean, do you have, do you feel like it has any impact on your work? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I, I mean, I say this and I still on rest days where I think like next year I want to do something more like every day, do something and have it be like a, you know, a grab bag of routines in addition to what I'm establishing with the strongest program. But yeah, it's, it's like maintenance work. We sit down all the time. And th- this is a, mm-hmm. a lesson from a few years ago. I had a little herniation in my lower disc. And I was like, well, what? I'm not like, mm. not you know, super unhealthy. We go on <laughs> hikes, we go to the beach, but uh, well, what could it be? Maybe it's that I'm sitting down for 12 hours a day or like, you know, go to work and then still come home and still yeah. sitting down. So got me thinking about uh, systems of maintenance. And uh, which is also why, like, I'm not you know, trying to get jacked and ripped. There's like, <laughs> a, uh, like, there's like a fit dad uh, movement or something. You know, it's mm. something I, I'm not a father, but hope to be. And you know, I think that that's a mindset of you know, you don't need to have all the you know, supplements and you know, creatine, whey protein. But if you have systems that say like we need to get, take care of our body, hopefully it'll. You know, I only really longer. get one. Exactly. Yeah, as far as far as I know. Yeah, I, I, I think I think it's really important. I think a lot of people listening to this show probably are really concentrating on, OK, well, how do I make my code better? Or I think also probably even more important, how do I how do I make my team? How do I provide more value to value to my team, uh, to my community? Uh, to people I work with, the company that I that I work for. How do I? And this goes into a little bit of the if you build it, they will come, and the skills that you develop. How do I? How do I communicate that value so people even know that I've done this, so that I, you know, get get credit, or that probably more importantly, get feedback so that I can can do it even better um, and 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 provide more value, uh, make a bigger make a bigger difference, uh, but. Uh, something that that yeah it hasn't come up on the on the show yet, but th- there are these habits that I think if if you if you develop, they have the power to make you so much more productive than than really anything else. I, I don't want people to think that they can just add more hours um, and sleep less and code more, and that's going to improve things. Um, I think you know somebody I'm mentoring right now realize that firsthand with their company going into crunch mode and they wound up really hurting their sleep, working super long hours. And I think it was only looking back, realizing that they weren't any more productive uh, so that their like productivity per hour dropped, like fell through the floor. And I think even looking back, they, they could just see like, wow, I don't I don't even think this was more productive than the weeks where I work normally. It was probably less productive uh, than the weeks where I work normally. Um, so things like that, like sleep and uh, working, you know, few out, fewer, more productive hours are really important. And then having the energy to really bring your A game during those hours is tied to exercise and, and making sure that, that you 
you do have that energy. And then it even goes further into diet and making sure that you're not just like, you know, eating sugar that's going to crash. And and for the most part, I don't you know, I don't think that's really what this this show is about. But I also think that's exactly what this show is about, because if you're not doing those things, um, you're going to have it's just if you're not doing those, it's going to make everything else harder. And if you are doing those things, all the other things are going to become uh, much easier. So I actually love that you brought this up. And this is this is like the first time. And, you know, I think all you know 50 episodes or whatever it is that, that this has come up. And so that's just why I wanted to maybe put a little too fine of a, a point on it. So I love that you're doing that and that that's one of your projects. I'll admit there's there's always the temptation to to work and, you know, to scratch that itch to maybe do a little bit more research, but, uh, you know, to work later in the, like, I'm constantly battling that. But one of my, back in the internship, one week I worked on a Saturday because I felt like I hadn't, uh, like met a goal or I forget the context, but, uh, I brought that up on stand up on Monday and kind of got chewed out for it <laughs> in, in the best way possible. They're like, Look, this is not like we are here to execute and, you know, we do have a mission for the company, but do not uh, like sacrifice your health over something like, like, like that. I mean, I wasn't, you know, 48 hours, but you know, I gave up a, a day. So I uh, heard it back then. And then, you know, sort of ebbs and flows. You'll have these times where you will feel tempted a lot back at the, the beats music launch. They, uh, one of the things that happened, big monitor with just a, a timer. So once we got to a hundred hours, uh, that's the one that, stands by, but I think it was probably there for uh, maybe a few months before launch, uh, just counting down. And as it got, once it got to double digits, I remember people were sleeping on the ground in the office and, uh, you know, cases of Red Bull, uh, systems mm. and, uh, network engineer brought his espresso machine. And so <laughs> it was, yeah, like there's always going to be that temptation, but if, I think if you have the discipline to care for yourself, you'll ride it through. And also, like last last little thing, I think those days that I you know I'll stay up late to to work on something, uh, I do. You'll get in this flow, but then I, you have this kind of revert for the next day where maybe you're not as focused or just a little hazier. So mm-hmm. um, it's sort of uh, there are ebbs and flows to these decisions. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely, Justin. This has been great. Where can people find out more about you online? Uh, well, thanks, David. And uh, yeah, they can go to Twitter. Uh, my handle's uh, Justin Projects, uh, or they can check out 24hourhomepage.com. That's two, four, uh, the numbers, uh, ourhomepage.com. Perfect. Thanks for joining me today. Thanks for having me, David. All right, folks, that's it for this week. I'm David Gutman, and I hope you join me again next time for Junior to Senior. Having trouble finding senior front end and full stack engineers? Sponsoring JSLA is one of the best ways to get in front of the best JavaScript devs in Los Angeles. To learn more, head over to js.la/sponsorship or send me an email at david@js.la. At